There are many ways people listen to vision, including through a PC at work. When you fire up your computer at work, go to vision.org.au slash listen and click the Vision or V180 Listen Live buttons. You can also catch the latest Vision National News Bulletin and enjoy a growing range of on-demand podcasts from the same page all while you work. However, and wherever you listen to Vision, you can be sure that the announcers, programs and music will help you look to God daily. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media. Thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation to Visionathon today at vision.org.au. Today with Jeff Vines, author, pastor, apologist and Bible teacher with a straight-talking message from the Word. The reason people were being healed The reason that God was moving in their midst was because they were devoted to each other. Today with Jeff Vines on Star. Hello and welcome to another episode of Today with Jeff Vines, where we aim to bring those far from God near to God with messages we can apply to our lives today. Last time we started looking at the early church and how that relates to finding the church we're all looking for today. Pastor Jeff is about to continue that message. It's about the early church and how they were devoted to each other. They were people who could rely on each other to share their burdens and confess their sins without judgment. So let's hear more about that group of believers. Here's Pastor Jeff. Acts 2.44 says all the believers were together. Now, in one sense, it talks about they were devoted to the fellowship. That is, they assembled together. That's what the church, the word church means. Actually, that's the word ecclesia. Church is a a, uh, German word that kind of took over the word ecclesia. That's a long story, but it's the fellowship, the gathering. But now we're talking about they're devoted. And what it means is they were devoted to each other. The early church, it was much more than coming in here on the weekend. Hey, dude, how you doing? Let's have a cup of coffee. Yes, he and I, it was much more than that. These people were devoted to each other, man. If there was a need, they could tell each other. And the need was met. Not only that, they confessed their sins to each other. And here's why. Because they knew that a holy life meant the abundant life. That nobody's perfect, but in your pursuit of living the way God calls you to live, that you will have a good and abundant life and God will open up the windows of heaven. But if you have so much sin entangling you, yes, I know you're saved by grace, still there, but if you have so much sin that entangles you, it robs you of the joy and the abundant living Christ came to bring. So what they did, they wanted their brothers to help them get the sin out of their lives. They'd say, help me conquer this because I know it's going to destroy me. So they confessed to each other, Brother Jeff, you got to help me. On Monday night prayer meeting, I'm walking out after the end of the meeting. A guy walks up to me, takes my hand, gives me a big bear hug and says, Pastor Jeff, tears in his eyes, thank you. And I said, for what? He said, for believing in me and for not judging me. I have an addiction to pornography and I'm trying to conquer this thing, but thinking that I can feel the freedom to tell you that, no, I won't be judged, to know that we all have our issues and we're gonna help each other. So he attends CR to try to recover from this addiction. He knows it's killing him and he knows he can't do it on his own. So that's why they confess their sins to each other. Pride goeth before the fall. 
Now, for those of you who are ADD, here's the story. I was reading again about Gary Richmond. It's an interesting story. There's a 13-foot cobra at the zoo, 13 feet. And this cobra has a scar above his left eye. And so every winter when he begins to shed his skin, the skin gets stuck right above the eye. And this snake looks like the embodiment of evil. And Gary Richmond talks about how the problem is it gets stuck there. And the only way you can remove it is by hand. And humorously, he says, the problem is snakes don't have hands. So people got to do it. So you got to get five guys and the zoo curator into this den of a snake that has the, enough venom to kill a thousand people, a herd of elephants. And they're all terrified, but they've got to do it. They come in and the idea is to put a towel over the snake and then to pay, take back the towel, shove his head in the ground and, and just at the spot where the the skin is stuck over the eye to pull it apart and then they can get out of there. So these five guys go in they're all nervous, man. Their hands are shaking, which is bad news unless you're the snake. And they got the towel over the snake and all of a sudden they look down and the towel is, has turned from white to yellow. The venom has just drenched the towel. Gary realizes he's got a cut on his left hand and if the venom gets in there, he will die. So he pulls back and all of a sudden, they get, try to get this piece of skin off. They finally rip it off. And now Gary Richmond says something very interesting to the guys who have been uh, called to help him uh, do the deed. And here's what he says. Hey, guys, remember, more people are bitten trying to let go of snakes than when they grab onto them. <laughs> Isn't that a great analogy? Easy to grab, hard to let go. Easy to grab, hard to let go. There are many men who took the first drink that never planned on being alcoholics. There are many men who did something inappropriately with a woman to whom they were not married that never planned on becoming a serial adulterer. There are many women who started embezzling from the company that never planned on being where they are. Easy to grab, hard to let go. Easy to grab, hard to let go. You can't let go on your own. Sin is so powerful and you are not without the power of the spirit and a group of friends who will come alongside you you will remain where you are now and you will never defeat it. The early church knew that and they wanted the life. They wanted the real life Jesus came to bring so they confessed their sins to each other. John Ortberg says this, accountability is a tool and a gift we give to one another to try to realize the growth we could never know all by ourselves. Not only that quickly, they held each other accountable. Now, here is a verse in Galatians 6 that is often misunderstood. It says, carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Now, what is the law of Christ? What would be the same as the law of God? Which is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, in order to do that, you have to carry each other's burdens. Unfortunately, we've translated this as pain and suffering. But if you look at the context of Galatians, this is not pain and suffering, this is sin. Carry each other's sins. It's assumed by God himself that we are going to have sin in our life. Yep, it's assumed and it's also assumed that we'll not be able to defeat it unless we carry each other's burdens, unless we don't judge each other, but come alongside each other and help each other. The reason I know this, the reason we don't confess our sins to each other, because we know most people aren't mature enough to hear our sins. They'll cast us aside. We'll shoot our own wounded. Rather than helping and restoring, we'll say, well, I can't believe you told me that. You really are a bad dude. <laughs> But they confessed their sins because they realized we're all in the same boat. They held each other accountable. And make no mistake, this whole idea of the corporate church, look, you are never, you're never going to confess your sins in a setting like this. Who are you kidding? You're not going to. 
I know that. But you will if you do what the early church believers did. They met together corporately, but then they met together in homes, in home groups. And they would make friends like 10 to 12 to 15 people. And then they'd get to know each other and they'd live life to, with each other. And they'd break bread. They would pray together and they'd confess their sins because trust developed and they would help each other. There are a lot of people that refuse to invest in others, but when their time of need comes, they expect others to invest in them. That's not going to happen. And so they go from church to church looking for the perfect church. And I keep telling you, if you find the perfect church, don't go because you'll ruin it. <laughs> they helped each other. They bore each other's burdens. They confessed their sins to each other. They held each other accountable. Second, quickly, and I'm going to move on to make the application. The second thing is they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Remember the first century, they didn't have a Bible. So the apostles, Jesus told them in John 14, that when the Holy Spirit came, that he would help them remember everything that Jesus had taught them. And by remembering everything, they would write it down. And then they would write it down and these letters would circulate to the churches in different cities. So now here, an interesting, according to early church history, an interesting dynamic began to happen. The reason people couldn't wait to get into the fellowship, the reason they couldn't wait to be together is because they knew someone was gonna stand up and read one of those letters that was from God. The Spirit guided the apostles and the disciples as they wrote the Word of God. So people felt like, wow, we got to go because God's going to speak. Now, the, the, the most important ingredient in any relationship is communication. And who doesn't want God to speak to them? Who doesn't want that? But we all keep waiting for God to come down in an audible voice. See, the first Christians knew how it worked that this is the word of God. And when you read it, God speaks to you. And when it's read in public, somebody will tell me, I mean, there's so many of you that say, Pastor Jeff, it's like every time you preach, you're speaking right to me. It's the word that's penetrating your heart, folks. There's a principle in the word. It's God speaking to you. Not that I'm God. I am not God. I am not God. <laughs> I am just saying that insofar as I accurately divide the word of God, then God speaks to you. And so they came together. They couldn't wait to be together to hear the voice of God. They were in anticipation of what is God going to say? There's a passage in Hebrews that was very famous in the early church. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So on the one hand, the word of God is comforting in your time of need. On the other hand, it judges you to the point that says, stop doing this or you're going to destroy yourself. And the early Christians believed, man, I've got to hear the word because it's the voice of God and it will bring clarity to my life. One of the most popular passages is Romans 8. And they read this quite frequently. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? There was a dynamic that happened in that early church. And they learned that as they heard the passages of scripture read and they went out to live their lives, that whatever they face, God, through the power of the spirit in them, would give them the right word at the right time and the right place to give them the victory. Now, you've heard me say that before. You didn't think that was original with me, did you? That's right out of the scripture. Right word, right time, right place. And some of you want to hear God speak, but the reason you don't is there's no word in you for the Holy Spirit to activate. So that's why you feel so far from God. <laughs> You don't feel close because the word of God's not in you. This first church were devoted to each other in the fellowship. They were devoted to, to the apostles' doctrine or scripture, and they were devoted to the breaking of bread and prayer. To the breaking of bread and prayer. Acts chapter 2, verse 46 says, They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. One more dynamic, and then I'll bring this to a conclusion. Do I still have you? 
All right, stay with me now. Here's what happened. They would come together and they would celebrate the Lord's Supper. And here's what they did. And here's why they, and not just on the weekends, folks, they did it every time they met together. Why would they do that? A couple of reasons. Number one, it reminded them that although they were not worthy to be in the presence of God, although they did not earn salvation by any merit on their own, any good thing they did, that God loved them so much that he sent his only son to die for them so that they could spend eternity with God. And that overwhelmed them. See, you know why it doesn't overwhelm us? Because we're too far removed. Most of you needed Jesus' revelation again. We're so far removed. That early church, they knew what the crucifixion was like. They knew how Jesus handled himself on the cross and they were enamored. You can too through the power of the word, but they were enamored and overwhelmed and they were experiencing two things because of it, gratitude of what God had done, but then there was an enormous amount of grace in the community. These people forgave everyone. They weren't perfect, but they were the most forgiving people. Even the Roman emperors who wanted to persecute and destroy them, annihilate them, the Christians were still forgiving. Why would they be like that? Because they knew they hadn't done anything at all to deserve forgiveness from God, and yet God forgave them. So in turn, they felt, how can we not forgive others who sin against us? Now, because they were forgiving, because they were devoted to each other, because they were excited about the reading of the word of God, something else happened. Their greed turned to generosity. Let me show you what happened in Acts chapter two, verse 44. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Now, here was their thinking. They thought to themselves, well, God had a heart for us. I guess we should have a heart for others. Well, God gave everything to us. I guess we should not withhold anything from anybody who's in need. And so they met each other's needs. And even when they suffered, they did it with great character and patience. And do you know why? Because they saw everything in their lives through the cross. And you've heard me say this before. And if you're kind of new here, you need to hear this. It is possible for you to be in the absolute worst position of your life and be in the center of the will of God. Did you hear that? When was Jesus in the most difficult position in his life? When he was hanging on the cross, bleeding to death and dying. Yet when was he, when was he most in the center of the will of God? When he was hanging on the cross, bleeding and dying. It is possible for you to be in the worst place in your life and be right where God wants you. And these people suffered with great patience and character. Now, they were devoted to fellowship, to the apostles' doctrine, to the breaking of bread and prayer. And the Bible says the result was in verse 47, they were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Now, you ready? Here's the issue. Why were they praising God? Because God was doing great things. But why was God doing great things? That's what I want to know. 27 years of ministry. All right, you got it? They were praising God. Easy to praise God when God's doing great things. Why was he doing great things? And then it dawned on me. It, the reason people were being healed, the reason that people in the, uh, in the fellowship were sacrificial and selfless and forgiving, the reason that God was moving in their midst was because they were devoted to each other. It was because they were devoted to the scripture. It was because they were devoted to the breaking of bread and prayer. It was because they were not addicted by affluence or distracted by it. They had each other. 
They needed each other. They loved each other. And because they treated each other this way, devoted to one another, because they had a heart and passion for the word of God, because they praised God continually, God looked down and said, wow, I know you're not perfect people, but you got the fundamentals right. I'm going to come into your presence and move. And there'll be people dying to get into your fellowship. You see, here's the problem. You want God to move and you want to fill God and you want great things to happen in here. And God says, good, you first, you first. How about some devotion to my word, devotion to prayer, devotion to each other. And when I see that type of community, I will come and I will move. That's how it works. I told you last week, I said, you know, until you come overwhelmed by the holiness of God, until you realize you don't deserve to be saved, until you realize no matter how good you think you are, it's never good enough in the standard God sets before us that he is holy and pure. And Isaiah had that experience. Until you're overwhelmed, until God strips you of everything you depend on other than yourself, everything that you depend on rather other than him for your salvation, until he strips all those things away, then you cannot be healed. Until you're overwhelmed, until you're stripped, you cannot be healed. And then you'll realize only God can save you. Now, that's true of salvation. However, it is silly to assume that we cannot position ourselves for blessing. You know what I mean by that, folks? If you want a great marriage, don't you have to invest in it? You, you can't have a great marriage by never talking to your wife. Oh, I want a great marriage. God, give me a great marriage, but you never invest in it. You want to raise godly children of character and integrity, successful children, and yet you don't read the Bible to them, you don't pray with them, you don't talk to them about what really matters, but you want God to just come down and do a miracle without you having to do anything with it. It doesn't happen like that. You want miraculous finances. Who doesn't? But you're not generous, you don't give to God, and you don't budget, and yet you want God to fix everything. It doesn't work like that. How many of you know, remember John Wooden? I love this guy. Yeah, John Wooden. A guy told me this past week, and some of you are probably already know it, when he was coaching Bill Walton, Bill Walton, tall, lanky guy, redhead, you know, UCLA. Bill Walton showed up his senior year after the summer break with a beard. Now, these are different times, remember. And of course, Coach Wooden had a rule, no facial hair. <laughs> And Bill Walton showed up at practice and his teammates said, dude, you better shave that beard. Coach Walton's going to be here any moment. Coach Wooden's going to be here any moment. And Walton said to them, no, man, I'm, I'm the best player in the country. I'm not shaving my beard. Coach Wooden came in. He saw Walton's beard and he said, uh, Bill, uh, you need to go into the men's room. You need to shave that beard and come out and we'll start practice. And Bill said, no, coach, man, I, I like my beard. Didn't even hesitate. Coach Wooden said, young man, it's been nice knowing you. Please leave your uniform and your practice gear in the locker and I wish you the very best in life. <laughs> Bill Walton said, Coach, I'll be back. I'm, I'm gonna go shave my beard. <laughs> Do you know, John Wooden would take his college players and line them up on the bench the first day of practice and teach them how to put on their socks and shoes. College students. Because he felt like blisters could really hamper the progress and success of the team. And he wanted to teach them from the get-go, make sure you do every little thing right. He was a fanatic when it comes to fundamentals. Now, here's the point of that. The early church got the fundamentals right. They weren't perfect. You know, the first two books written in the New Testament are First and Second Corinthians. Have you ever read them? These people were messed up. But they had the fundamentals. They knew they were messed up. They were humble about it. They confessed their sins. They bore each other's burdens. They held each other accountable. 
They wanted to hear from God. And there was a passion. There was something internal about them that wanted so much to be like Christ that God looked down in his grace and said, wow. And he moved among them and there were awesome things happening. I'm trying to tell you that there are two types of people that come to this church. Number one, there are consumers. These are the people, hey, I don't have anything to do this weekend. I hear they got an, um, uh, a funny pastor from the South over there. I think I'm gonna go over and watch this guy. I hear he's funny, tell some good stories. Let's go. They come, they say, man, I feel good. This, that was good. I think I'll come again maybe in a couple of months. <laughs> I'll come back three months later. Yeah, yeah, that's a good story too. That's funny. I like that guy. That's called a consumer. A consumer is somebody who looks at church as something to give them what they want. Entertainment. But then there are those of you who are consumed. You're consumed by God. And when you come, you expect God to move. And you want God to move. And the reality is, you don't really care who's speaking as long as the word of God is being preached. You're not a consumer. You're consumed with God. And if the word of God was not being preached, you would leave. And I would say, good move. You'd need to. Because it's only the word of God that does not return void. Some people are consumers. Others are consumed by God. And here's what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to tell you that if you want a church where God is moving every weekend, If you want a church where it's just pizzazz, the moving of the spirit of God, not this subjective, ooey-gooey, centrifugal, bumble puppy stuff, but the real stuff. If you want that, you're not waiting on God. We're not waiting on God. No, no, no. He's waiting on us. Where is our devotion? Where is your devotion? And when we're devoted to God completely and fully, God will move. When we're devoted to the fellowship to each other, when we're devoted to the prayer, breaking of bread, when we're devoted to the scripture and God looks down and he sees that, he will move and you will not be able to keep people out. And you'll not want to miss because you'll be afraid you're going to miss something. You with me? We're going to go into this series and I'm going to describe for you over the next four weeks what a fully devoted follower of Jesus looks like in hopes that at the end of it, we would all become one and God will start to move. Father, I thank you so much for the power of your word, for the Acts chapter two, to remind us of who you are and how you work in our lives. And I would pray right now, as we just celebrate your love for us, as we celebrate that you are a good and holy and loving God, as we celebrate that salvation comes by grace through faith, there's nothing we can do to earn salvation. It is a gift of God through the cross of Jesus Christ. We acknowledge that. We are grateful for that, Father. We celebrate that But we also celebrate the reality that when we become fully devoted followers, when we devote our lives and ourselves to you, you seem to be more than willing to move in our midst as people have their eyes open to your love through our devotion to one another and to prayer. And Father, to your willingness to move in dynamic and powerful ways as we are devoted to the word of God as you speak to us through the scripture and our lives are transformed from the inside out. Help us, oh God, give us courage to go the next level, to go to the level of devotion that is a catalyst for the moving of God and revival in our church is our prayer in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining me on Today with Jeff Vines. That's the end of this message about the church we're all looking for. Next time, join me to hear more from the Fully Devoted series. We'll be looking at 
generosity. Deuteronomy 8 warns against this. It says, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Today with Jeff Vines on Star. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.